Oh, is it that time again already? Yes, people, you're listening to the latest episode of The Fruits of My Labour, the Nasty Pasty podcast. Nasty, because we cover films from the nasty era that really should have been on the infamous lists. Pasty, because everyone loves pasties, and they look fairly innocuous until you delve into the filling. Podcast, because ultimately this is an episodic broadcast distributed over the internet. Now that we've gone over what's in a name, a la Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, let's get on to the main subject of today's episode, which is something quite westwards of a love story, where two teenagers fuck and then kill themselves out of sheer dramatic escalation. After visiting two early Nazi exploitation flicks last week, we're now on to a different Italian origin genre that's all of the violence and the brutality, but little of the horror overtones. This week, we're covering Poliziotesky films, cop-oriented action thrillers which are big on the cheesiness, heavy on the gratuitous violence, and stylistic in the dialogue and the subtext. This week's films are The Cynic, The Rat and The Fist, and Almost Human, both from the late Umberto Lenzi. So, in essence, this episode is Lenzi's Poliziotesky films. Try saying that while inebriated. As per usual, it's history time with Andy, and I'll debrief you all on exactly what a Poliziotesky is. Emerging in the late 60s and bursting in popularity during the 70s, Poliziotesco, the plural, is also referred to as Eurocrime or spaghetti crime films. Now, the term Poliziotesky comes from the Italian word Poliziotto, which means policeman, and Esco, which means esque, essentially making the word policeman-esque. The genre was an offshoot of various influences and bases, but it does have precursors in the forms of Italian heist movies of the 1960s, like 1962's La Commere Secca, which is the Grim Reaper in English, uh, Barva's Danger, Diabolique, or Carlo Lizzani's Bandits in Milan. The genre was stoked up considerably, however, by American thrillers like Dirty Harry, The French Connection, and Serpico, or even heist films like The Italian Job. Also of influence were vigilante films like 1974's Death Wish, as well as a surge of popularity for mobster crime films in the wake of Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. Not only was there this wealth of cultural cinematic inspiration, but Italy itself was suffering a period of unrest, which was known as the Years of Lead, due to the amount of bullets that were fired during that time. Now, from the 1960s to the 1980s, Italy was plagued by multiple terrorist incidents, instigated by both right-wing neo-fascists, the Italian social movement, as well as militant left-wing left brigade. Both sides engaged in political terrorism, including bombings, kidnappings, violent protests, robberies, arson attacks and assassinations that had the entire country in disarray and fear. And as if there was, this wasn't enough, the Sicilian Mafia had re-emerged in the 1962 and again in the 1980s, and they sometimes collaborated with the political violence that was widespread across the country. Now, recurring elements of Poliziotesky films are graphic and but- brutal violence, gunfights, organised crime, vigilantes, heists, car chases, corrupt law enforcement, and an inherent mistrust of the system of law. The protagonists in such films are often tough cops, ex-police officers, or just simply working-class heroes who frequently find themselves acting outside the bureaucracy of law and order to bring justice against the film's antagonists. Presumably due to the large amount of unrest in Italy at the time, Poliziotesky films also have varying levels of political subtext or commentary. Frequently, both left-wing and right-wing agendas are present in the film's characters. 
At other times, it's rather subtle and ambiguous as to which motivations are which. Now, films of this genre were often criticised at the time that they were released for having negative portrayals of political activism, as well as seeming to endorse vigilantism or tough-on-crime stances, in the same way that something like Death Wish was received. Some critics believed that the films were too conservative and semi-fascistic in their depictions of violence, whereas some felt they were a little too harsh on conservative viewpoints, as conservatism was usually displayed by villains in these films. Other critics believe that the films actually depict an equal balance of both, that simply demonstrates that violence is a no-win situation for both sides. Several well-known and recurring Italian directors dabbled in this genre, such as Umberto Lenzi, Lucio Fulci, Ruggiero Diodato, Sergio Martino, Marino Girolami, um, Massimo Dallamano, or Stelvio Mazzi. Frequent faces in these sorts of films are Thomas Millian, uh, Barbara Boucher, Leonard Mann, Franco Nero, and Henry Silver. And some examples of Poliziotesky films are the two films this week, of course, The Cynic, The Rat and the Fist, and Almost Human, but there's also Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, uh, Violent Naples, Contraband, The Violent Professionals, What Have They Done to Your Daughters, which is actually a mix of Giallo and Poliziotesky, but more on that later, uh, well, next week, really, uh, Syndicate Sadists, The Big Racket, and Mad Dog Killer, which was released in the UK as Street Killers and also seized as a Section 3 nest film. The Poliziotesky was surmised to have got popular as a result of the decline of spaghetti westerns, and then it subsequently lost popularity in the late 70s as both Italian horror and erotic comedies were seeing much bigger returns at the box office. Fulci's film Contraband is considered one of the last examples of this genre before it did fade from the public eye. So now that we have an idea of what the genre is like, let's delve into the first one of this week, The Cynic, The Rat and The Fist. Ex-Inspector Leonardo Tanzi is alarmed to come home to a made-up funeral card with his name on it posted through the letterbox. 
Soon after, an acquaintance, Commissioner Astali, phones him to give him some grave news. A man that Tanzi helped put away, Luigi Maietto, has escaped from prison and will be coming for him. Not very long after, one of Maietto's henchmen breaks into Tanzi's apartment and guns him down. With his funeral being held in Cimino, Maietto, known as the Chinaman, is visited by a syndicate associate Frank DiMaggio and his lawyer Marchetti, and agree to form a partnership in their crime business. Tanzi is then revealed to be alive, sent to Switzerland to hide out while the case against Chinaman is built up. Instead, he heads to his uncle's, just after his uncle has suffered a mugging from a thug called Cappuccino. Looking for the guy, Tanzi ends up saving a girl called Nadia from a nightclub while DiMaggio has one of his men torn apart by dogs for trying to double-cross them, informing Chinaman's assistant, Dario, of Natali, a man who's not paying his protection money. Chinaman then has Natali's legs broken for this jibe, whilst Tanzi is visited by an old sergeant friend whom he helps rescue his sister from a pimp called Fatsy. Tanzi then discovers a whole host of girls working for them, including Nadia. Tracking down Nicola, the guy he rescued Nadia from, Tanzi beats him up again and takes a cash deposit, sowing seeds of distrust between DiMaggio and Chinaman. Finally tracking Cappuccino down to a cafe, he beats him and his friends to a pulp before calling the police. Chinaman visits Nicola in hospital and kills him after deducing that it's actually Tanzi who beat him up. Dario tracks Tanzi down and attempts to kill him, only to accidentally shoot his uncle dead instead. Not giving up, Dario tries to knife Tanzi on a train unsuccessfully and pursues him through the streets, only for Tanzi to slip away and reunite with Astali, informing him of all that's happened so far. Nadia is interrogated by Dario and his thugs for the whereabouts of Tanzi, only for him to burst in with a fire extinguisher and attack them all and fleeing the scene. He sends Nadia to the train station to buy a ticket for Milan, only for her to be followed by a woman named Maria, the wife of Nicola, who wants revenge herself on Chinaman. Maria visits Chinaman and feigns that she wants revenge on DiMaggio for Nicola's death, enticing him to steal a portion of DiMaggio's money, whilst Tanzi and a friend of his break into DiMaggio's office themselves and sabotage the alarm to allow the group in. When Dario and his cronies have stolen the money, the alarm goes off and forces them to rappel down from the roof with the cash. When DiMaggio avoids an attempted killing by Chinaman's men in, in jail, he's utterly convinced that Chinaman now is after him, especially after his money is stolen. Maria is visited by DiMaggio's men who shove acid in her face for ratting on DiMaggio's money stash, only to be saved by Tanzi. Chinaman then meets with DiMaggio to give him his money back, with the intention of having Dario kill him. Instead of the meeting, Dario points his gun at Chinaman on orders of DiMaggio, and is marched away to be shot. DiMaggio soon discovers that there's no money in the bag, just as Tanzi arrives, causing a shootout that ends up with DiMaggio dead and Chinaman injured. Pursuing him on foot... Tanzi finally manages to shoot him in the head, just as Astali arrives, unsure of whether to commend him or arrest him. Here, go and buy a dress. At six is an express for Milan. Milan? Who'll be taking it? You. Oh yeah, that's what you think. I'm not taking a train any place, you can be damn sure of that. Maybe I should go away, but I'm not going to. Because of you, I've been very unpleasantly knocked about. I've lost a job I had, and after all that... You just want to get rid of me now that I'm no longer much use to you. Oh, you can think again. This girl's going nowhere. All right, but remember, it's your skin, my sweet. You know what'll happen if our friends find you. Look, we won't always be as lucky as we were today. 
What's all this about? You worried about me? No, about me. Come on, I was kidding. I'll see you in Milan in about a week, all right? Whatever you say, but I'm pretty sure you're getting rid of me. What's he waiting for, this Chinaman? Hmm? What's he expect? An engraved invitation? It's been six fucking days and I haven't received one cent of protection money. Well, he had big trouble with that Natale. He had to cool it. Menefrego, if he's so fucking dumb as to go gallivanting around Rome with the police snipping up his ass, we're finished. But I'm gonna get my fucking money. By Christ almighty, I'm gonna get my fucking money. Go call Tony. Show boss, right away, right away. Is anything wrong, darling? Va culo. where? Go ahead, get out of here. Disappear. Dick, Schultz. Released in 1977 as Il Cinico, La Infamy, Il Violento, which translates as The Cynic, The Infamous and The Violent, The Cynic, The Rat and The Fist is Umberto Lenzi's sequel to his 1976 film Rome Armed to the Teeth. You don't really have to have seen the previous film, however, as Tanzi is the only returning character. Despite Thomas Millian's appearing, he's a completely different character in the sequel. As mentioned before, this was one of dozens of Polizioteschi films directed by Umberto Lenzi, who at this point had already helmed eight others. There's actually very little production information available on the film, apart from the fact that it was a very short shoot, and that like many others of its ilk, it was shot on location in Rome. Now, the short production time highlights the fact that Tanzi and Chinaman, or Maurizio Merli and Thomas Millian, are never in the same shot together, because they all shot their scenes at different times. It is also rather low budget, as most are in this genre, but some cheap effects are just too hard to ignore, like the infrared sensors in DiMaggio's building, which are clearly just strings with a red filter over the top. I mean, they even have shadows, although kudos to the editor for trying to convince us that they're real by going back and forth between shots where the strings are there and when they're not there. The script was also written rather quickly, with collaborator Ernesto Gastaldi not being too happy with the way that it turned out, even in the final film. As he did often, Milion, who plays the Chinaman, altered some of his lines to take advantage of the slang of Milan to better play off with the humour. Compared to Lenzi's earlier examples, The Cynic, The Rat and The Fist is a more cheesy and brainless experience. Not boring at all, but certainly not too deeply immersed in political subtext or serious characterisation. What we have here instead is a rather entertaining string of scenes with a slightly convoluted plot. The film's title refers to each of the major players in the narrative. The Cynic is Thomas Millian's Chinaman young, untrustworthy, and scornful of an older person's grip on a market that he assumes should be his. He's rude, unprofessional, and rather deadpan about his habit of having people killed or beaten up. The rat represents DiMaggio, a New York crime boss who's moved into Milan to prey on it, like a rat bringing a disease. He's sneaky, sneering, and incredibly violent to his enemies, preferring to torture a man with hitting golf balls at him before having him torn apart by pet dogs. And the fist is none other than our very own Inspector Tanzi, frequently seen to throw punches, full of bravado and determination, and a reputation for just getting the job done with little diplomacy or small talk. Despite some of the violent goings-on, like a nasty scene of acid being thrown into a woman's face, or a man being ripped apart by dogs, it's hard to take this film seriously in any way, because it's too damn hilarious. Lenzi had lightened up a little in his themes and has instead decided to dispense with serious characters and focus instead on the fistfights and the shootouts, all wrapped in cheesy dialogue. 
The bad guys are straight from the stock character shop, barely out of their cellophane wrappers, threatening to make people sleep with the fishes, double-crossing each other, having major disrespect for the police, you name it, they've got it. I mean, some of the golden nuggets of dialogue are the Chinaman saying to a client who hasn't paid his protection money, I'll give you a break, okay? It might even be multiple, like a compound fracture, because i got to break one of your legs, you see. Or Tansy declaring, say cheese, before smacking Fatsy in the face with a camera. Tansy himself, though a little bit of a twat towards women, which is almost a staple of Italian movies from the 70s and 80s, is a consolidation of all that toxic masculine Italian macho nonsense that pervades these films. He's bleach blonde, has a huge handlebar moustache, a hairy chest, open shirt, leather jacket and a huge golden medallion. You really couldn't be more 70s if you tried, but he does give us some of the more entertaining scenes with his quite impressive bravado, like charging into a cafe and beating up Cappuccino's gang in mere seconds, hilariously smashing a few chairs over people's backs, destroying various instances of furniture, and in one scene scorching a thug's face on a burning hot stage light. I couldn't really go through the the film without mentioning the women in the film, who were almost completely there to be thrown around and slapped. It got to a rather silly stage, and I frequently found myself laughing at the sheer normalising of slapping women about. A woman has her bag stolen in the beginning and spitefully pushed into the ground. Nadi is attacked by Nicola in a nightclub, seemingly for being a tart, and even slapped by Tansy in Fatsy's studio. This scene is particularly odd, as hardly any word is said about why she's there. I've just had to assume this in the synopsis, and he just decides to slap her. And not only that, she doesn't even seem particularly bothered, and even suggests that he can do it again if he wants to. Tansy even steals a woman's car and pushes her out the way. The poor thing nearly falls off the car park building. But it did provoke one of the most funny dubbed voices that I've heard in a long time. Help! Help! My car! Somebody help me! And during a little gaff earlier in the film, a woman is nearly mowed down by Tansy's car when he speeds off to his uncle's. Women are drugged and abused in Fatsy's studio, and Maria is quite viciously beaten and burned by DiMaggio's thugs in a laundromat. The shoving and the mistreatment of women is so profuse and unabashed that in an actually serious film it would be quite problematic. But the, testosterone- but the testosterone-fueled nature of this pizza with extra cheese ends up producing a feeling similar to a YouTube compilation of women falling over to the Benny Hill theme tune. It just engenders laughing at how shameless it is. Nadia's character is probably the woman to get the most screen time, but she's as shallow as the rest of the characters. Not only is she content with male abuse, not really reacting to Tansy's slap, and actually getting upset with him for defending her from Nicola. Who else will buy me clothes and jewellery? How else will I live? But her dialogue is also kind of ridiculous. In one of the most Tommy Wiseau-esque scenes in the movie, she exclaims, I don't know him personally. He's an Italian-American. Filthy rich. Beautiful women. Beautiful clothes. Cars. Throws a lot of weight. He's got a villa on the Antica. It's supposed to be incredible. Hey, mumble or grunt occasionally. That way I'll think you're listening. I know you find me a fascinating conversationalist. Maybe I talk too much. What time is it? I had to rewind it a couple of times to figure out what was actually being said. Like the room, however, the little bits and bobs of cheapness and silliness are quite endearing. Like the prostitute rescued from Fatsy having her boob hang out of her leotard for no reason, not even covering it up when her brother retrieves her. Also, the cleaning lady who asks Tansy how she forgot to call call the electrician. 
How in the name of British soddery would he know how you forgot? The technical side of things, though, is really rather good, with quite colourful 70s kitsch oozing out of every scene, especially in Tansy's appearance. If someone condensed the 70s in a person, it would be Inspector Tansy. The fight sequences are rather fun, but it is lacking a little bit of the car chases that one might expect. It does have a rather protracted sequence where Tansy and a professor break into DiMaggio's building and have to bypass pieces of string, uh, well, the infrared sensors. This scene just feels a little tacked on, and it could have been edited out, really. But the editing in the film itself is also just a little bit off. In one scene in particular, when Maria follows Nadia home and is then caught by Tansy, the film just jumps straight away to her visiting Chinaman, with no scene whatsoever to indicate that she's now collaborating with Tansy to bring them down. The viewer just has to assume that that's what happened, and it feels like that really needed to be a scene. But having said that, the fight sequences are edited quite well. There's enough stylistic flourishes to make sure that the film doesn't get too boring. The music, too, is rather good, with one of the themes oddly sounding like a very slowed-down version of the theme from Halloween 2. Main macho man Tansy is played by Maurizio Merli, whose performance in this made him the top earner for an action movie star in that year in Italy. He'd been in a few films of this ilk before, like Violent Rome and the aforementioned Rome Armed to the Teeth, but he also popped up in Manahar, the spaghetti western from Sergio Martino. Repeat offender John Saxon, who we've mentioned loads of times before, pops up in this as DiMaggio, with a big bushy moustache of his own. The villainous Chinaman was played by Cuban-born actor Thomas Millian, who'd been a favourite of Lenzi's for these sorts of films. Millian explained that his latent potential to portray a son of a bitch was enhanced by Lenzi's love-hate relationship with him, because he loved having him on his movies as they often made a lot of money, but he had reservations about Millian's need to act without direction. This often created tensions which Millian reportedly found inspiring for his characters. He'd been in quite a few things as well, like Django Kill, uh, Bandits in Milan, The Designated Victim, The Last Movie with Dennis Hopper, uh, Fulci's Don't Torture a Duckling, our other film this week, Almost Human, uh, The Tough Ones, and he was even in JFK. While he was born in Cuba, he also had Italian citizenship due to his prolific body of work there, and he was openly bisexual too. I also noticed that he actually shares my birthday of March the 3rd, but he unfortunately passed away just last year in March. Astali was played by Renzo Palmer, who was in The Big Racket, while the apish Dario was played by Claudio Undari, who was in The Beast in Space with Sierpa Lane. Gabriella Lapori plays the rather vacuous Nadia. She'd been in Five Women for the Killer, uh, The Tough Ones and Death Dealers. Whilst uh, Gabriella Giorgelli, who played Maria, she'd been in The Grim Reaper, uh, Seven Bloodstained Orchids, and Love in a Woman's Prison. There was also Bruno Carazzi. He portrayed DiMaggio's other henchman, Ettore, and he'd been in The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, uh, Seven Bloodstained Orchids, Violent Professionals, uh, The Psychic, Fulci's version of The Black Cat, The Green Inferno, and Body Puzzle. Tansy's uncle was played by Guido Alberti, who's also in uh, Almost Human as well, as well as The Fifth Chord, uh, Lenzi's Giallo Spasmo, uh, Death Dealers, and also Fulci's Contraband. Aldo Massasso plays a small role as a magistrate. He'd been in the video Nasty, Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. Uh, He also appeared in Contraband and the 1998 version of Phantom of the Opera. 
In an uncredited appearance, almost like a blink and you'll miss her, uh, Bridget Patronio also appears as one of Fatsy's hookers. Now, she'd later appear in Emmanuel Around the World, and most infamously in The House on the Edge of the Park by Ruggiero Deodato. Nicola was played by Gianni Musi, who was more of an Italian dub actor, really. He dubbed the Italian versions of La Dolce Vita, Disney's Hercules, Treasure Planet, and he was even Dumbledore in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Gianfilippo Cacano, who played the portly little professor, had appeared in Nazi Love Camp 27, as well as Terror Express, which we've covered before. Now, director Umberto Lenzi is no stranger to Italian horror fans or video nasty buffs. Lenzi himself had four films caught up in the nasties scare, uh, Deep River Savages and Cannibal Ferox, both prosecuted as nasties, and Eaten Alive and Nightmare City, which were both seized under Section 3. He also directed a multitude of genres like cannibal films, spaghetti westerns, gialli, poliziotesco, uh, supernatural films, slashes, all sorts of things. Some of his examples are Orgasmo, um, Seven Bloodstained Orchids, Spasmo, The Tough Ones, Death Dealers, Iron Master, Ghost House, which we've covered before, uh, Nightmare Beach, House of Witchcraft and House of Lost Souls, which we're covering later this year. Uh, Also Black Demons, which is sometimes released as Demons 3. Now, Lenzi worked on the script as well, along with Ernesto Gastaldi and Dardano Sacchetti, both of which have been mentioned on previous episodes lots of times. But another collaborator was Sauro Scavellini, who's the brother of Romano, who's known for with the Giallo film White Dress for Marielle and the video nasty Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. He'd also written the Poliziotesky film Violent City, starring Charles Bronson and Telly Savalas, uh, The Case of the Scorpion's Tale, All the Colours of the Dark, and Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. It was produced by Luciano Martino, again, who's been mentioned countless times, and the frenetic music was done by Franco Michalizzi, who'd composed Beyond the Door, uh, The Tough Ones, Death Dealers, the Section 3 film The Last Hunter, and Lenzi's Black Demons. But in recent years, he's done the soundtrack for the PS2 game Red Dead Revolver. He also scored Tarantino's Death Proof and Django Unchained, as well as doing some segments on Curb Your Enthusiasm. The cinematography was done by Federico Zanni, who'd worked on Almost Human, The Tough Ones, Manahar, and Eaten Alive. Whilst editor Eugenio Alabiso, he's worked on many others, including Green Inferno and Hands of Steel, so he's no stranger to Nasty Pasty either. The film did do rather well, though, when it was released in Italy, garnering over a billion and a half in Italian lira. It didn't really receive theatrical exhibition outside of its native country, though, but it did receive a release from Fletcher Video in the UK in 1981, just prior to the Video Nasty scandal hitting it off. Now, Fletcher Video would soon get in trouble themselves when they had the Video Nasty Killer Nun. So, it is possible that nosy policemen picked it up to have a look at it, but the cover was fairly innocuous, and there's nothing really other than the acid attack on the woman's face that is actually that violent. It was passed uncut at Certificate 15 in 2016, when 88 Films released a remastered print of the film on both DVD and Blu-ray. So that was The Cynic, The Rat and The Fist. So let's speed along and arrive at our next destination, Almost Human.
A small group of thugs led by the villainous Saki attempt to rob a bank, which goes wrong when a police officer investigates the getaway car, prompting Saki to shoot him. After a beating from Mahoney, he returns to petty crimes and begging for money from his bit on the side Iona, ending up murdering another police officer over a small amount of change from a cigarette machine that he's stealing. Inspector Grandy is intrigued for the criminal's seemingly short fuse, whilst Saki learns of Yona's boss, who has started bringing his daughter Mary Lou to work. Surmising that she'll be worth half a billion lira in ransom money, he plans her kidnap, stealing Yona's car in the meantime. Going to an arms dealer, Saki and his two accomplices Carmine and Vittorio obtain some guns and then kill the dealer and his wife so that they won't have to pay for them. And then they kidnap Mary Lou while she's out with her boyfriend, killing him as well. Mary Lou uses the opportunity to escape to a nearby mansion, owned by a couple, Romano and Marta, with their two friends visiting. It's not long before the men arrive too, killing one of the four and sexually assaulting the remaining three, eventually tying them to a chandelier and fooling around with them. When Saki fires upon a noise upstairs, it turns out to be Marta's and Romano's daughter, causing the pair to cry out in despair, which only gets them shot by the sadistic Saki. Bundling Mary Lou away in an abandoned boat, Saki then destroys the car by dumping it in a lake, with the unfortunate Yona in it as well. Mary Lou is threatened into writing a letter to her father, demanding the money for the ransom, whilst Grandy discovers Yona's car in the lake and her connection to Mary Lou's father. He speaks to Yona's mother, who leads them to Saki's apartment. Eventually, Saki takes the initiative and tries to report Yona's disappearance and fakes being upset at the news of her demise. Grandy, however, is clearly unconvinced. After revealing to Carmine and Vittorio that he killed Yona, they both begin to show signs of apprehension about the whole spate of murders that they've committed so far. Whilst Mary Lou's father is intent on giving the criminals their ransom money, despite the pleas of, of Grandy, whose investigation has become closed. While getting a pack of cigarettes, Grandy suddenly remembers seeing Saki at the crime scene of the police officer's death. He interrupts Mary Lou's father before he makes the exchange with Saki and drives ahead on his own. Leaving the ransom cash at the agreed location, Grandy then sneaks off, leaving Saki to notice this. He then visits Mary Lou and guns her down, causing Carmine to attack him and get shot to death too. When Vittorio comes back and discovers that Saki has killed Carmine, he too attacks Saki, only to be betrayed like everyone else. Grandy suddenly arrives and is shot by a fleeing Saki, who reunites with Mahoney to try and gain an alibi. When Mahoney tries to feed a fake story to Grandy, he has them all arrested. The judge in charge of the case, however, throws the whole thing out due to a lack of evidence, as Saki is now paying everyone off, including a high-profile lawyer. Grandy, having finally been pushed to the edge, visits Saki in person and shoots him to death personally. What happened? I guess some kind of accident. She's been hurt. A car accident? Is there anyone hurt besides you? Chutney, he opened it. If he hadn't... Crazy, what you saying? As far as I'm concerned, this business about an oil crisis is no more nor less than a blessing in disguise. If everyone walked more like at the good old days, our health would improve. Listen to me. You know you'd commit murder if anyone so much as touched your car. That's what they did. They committed murder. They killed Johnny. Go on, you feel better. Romano, come on. Can't you see you're almost strangling the girl? Aren't you good for anything? Good grief. I suppose you're some kind of registered nurse, eh? Pour me a glass, too, will you? These kind of things make me feel all empty inside. Try to get some inside the old man, too. Then maybe I'll go to sleep sooner.
Darling, how about a little glass of brandy? Brandy, you better be careful. It may harden more than my arteries, you know. <laughs> hey, this girl hasn't been in any accident. She said that three men carrying machine guns attacked her. She's a liar. <gasps> oh, she's a terrible liar. Don't listen to her. She's a stupid lying kid. What do you want? If it's about the girl, we don't know her. I mean, we've never even met her. But now you know me, farmer. You killed him! You oh. murdered Johnny! You murdered Johnny! Quiet! You're a terrible liar. Listen, we won't say a thing. We don't want any trouble, honestly. Take the girl and go. Well, if you ask this nicely. <laughs> That's right. If you want something, you pray for it. You want it bad enough to pray for it? Then kneel down. Kneel down, I said! Kneel down, I said! You too, honey, kneel down! Listen, boys, I've got lots of money. Victoria, put her in the bathroom. That's right. Unlock the door. You know something? I don't know if you agree with me, but I've always been put off by uh, people who live just for money. I mean, there are plenty of, of other values in life. For example, universal love. You ever hear of universal love? Huh? <laughs> One of Lindsay's earlier examples, Almost Human is sometimes known as The Kidnap of Mary Lou, The Death Dealer, or The Executioner. It was released in 1974, quite a few years before Cynic, and it's noticeably less cheesy in its execution and tone. It is, however, similar in almost every other aspect, featuring Thomas Millian again, this time as the film's anti-hero protagonist. It also has a lot more political undertones, but we will get to that in a little while. The film had pretty much the same setup as Cynic. The film was made quite cheaply, and mostly filmed in Rome. But it did have some other shooting locations too, like Lake Isio, Ponte Chiasso, and Milan as well. This was to be Lenzi's first collaboration with Thomas Millian, who was actually a replacement for someone else. Mark Perel from Don't Torture a Duckling, and who also went on to Fulci's The Psychic, was originally offered the role of Fasaki but Lenzi felt that he'd be unreliable and also unprofessional. So between him and the producer, Lenzi became quite incensed at the idea of Sorel taking the lead role, and he gave producer Luciano Martino an ultimatum. It was either Lenzi or Sorel. So Martino then offered Thomas Millian, and their first meeting was not really on the best of standards. Due to rumours that he'd heard about Lenzi's hot-headed directing attitude, Millian apparently mistrusted the director and Lenzi felt this inherent uneasiness with him. His terms, however, were quite reasonable and Lenzi felt that after some discussion, Millian began to show a little bit more faith in him as a director and he agreed to let him take the part. It was clearly a success as Millian would work with him on a further seven films. Likewise, Grandy was originally going to be played by actor Richard Conti, who'd been in The Godfather and he was also in The Violent Professionals. Conti, however, passed away shortly before the filming was due to commence, so instead Henry Silver was brought in. As mentioned before, the film is a lot more dark in tone, and it features quite possibly the most outrageous bastard as an antagonist, the vile Saki. He does, however, happen to be one of the most interesting characters. He's internally conflicted, feeling inferior to his girlfriend Yona for his apparent dirtiness and lack of money. In his own words, you either have loads of cash and be cool, or you have nothing and nowhere to pee. 
He's very anti-establishment, scathingly mocking Marta and Romano for their wealth, whilst simultaneously wanting to be part of the same establishment, and he also brands the newspapers as written by a bunch of idiots. To this end, his internal conflict is externalised as a massive untrustworthiness. He betrays almost everyone he encounters and randomly kills anyone when he gets twitchy. He really is an utter deplorable rat, almost rivalling the bad guy from street trash in total bastardry. Grandy, though, in my opinion, quite underused, has lost faith in the... <clears throat> Grandy, though in my opinion quite underused, has lost faith in the police force, wanting to take matters into his own hands. It's not really surprising, seeing as Mahoney's gang bribes the, ple- the vice department to be left alone, and Mary Lou's father does not seem to understand that paying the ransom will likely result in his daughter's death anyway. Grandy slowly begins to get frustrated to the point where he decides to take action outside the law. Can't really blame him. Saki really, really, really deserved it. The film really hasn't made me hate someone as much as Saki since Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix made me hate Professor Umbridge. Other characters are less interesting, such as Carmine, who's clearly conflicted with what the group's doing, but not enough to leave the operation. Mahoney is your stereotypical Italian gangster. Romano and Marta are quite cardboard victims, and Mary Lou herself, while she has a little bit more bravado than expected, she does end up disappointingly being fodder by the end of the film. The only other person of slight interest is Yona, not just because she's intelligent and seemingly doing well for herself, but for the sheer strangeness of how someone like her met up with someone like Saki. She seems to accept his sexual roughness, the fact that he steal her car on a whim, and all sorts of other nastiness. The fact that she puts up with it is rather odd. And it's all the more disappointing that she ends up functioning as just purely another reason to hate Saki. Of all the other characters that are random is the arms dealer who gets the small gang their machine guns. Rather interesting how he's a devout Christian and justifies the whole thing by saying that he says penance for all the shots that have been fired. I mean, even his wife used to be a prostitute. It's quite laughable, really. Some of the undertones of the film, though, do suggest that the conflict between extreme right-wing politics and extreme left-wing politics are as equally futile as the other. Saki seems to represent the extreme left, feeling free to do whatever he wants, disposing of people whenever he's achieved what he wants from them. He travels wherever the winds take him, all the while hating the people of the right, whom he sees as just rich. He even evokes the saying of left-leaning peoples, free love between everyone, when he sexually assaults Romano in the mansion. He's pretty much like a politician who claims to drain the swamp, only to secretly want to be part of the company who are filthying the said swamp. Grandy, on the other hand, is meant to represent the far right, authoritative, all-knowing, and wanting to play by traditional rules. It's interesting how, over the course of the film, the pair end up almost on the opposite ends of the political gauge. Saki is now as rich as the right that he detests so much, and spends all of his time boasting about his wealth. Grandy, however, is now on the left, willing to do whatever he wants, irrespective of the law, to gain personal revenge on Saki. It's notable how Saki ends up dead, lying in trash, as a luxury high-rise lies just beyond it, almost like the life he was just short of achieving. Henry Silver, who played Grandy, was an American actor who'd been in a few cult movies himself, such as Alligator, Escape from the Bronx, Alan Quatermain and the Lost City of Gold, Bulletproof, and he was even in Ocean's Eleven. His assistant was played by Mario Piave, who'd reappear in Syndicate Sadists. And the late Ray Lovelock played the conflicted Carmine, mentioned before on the last House of the Beach episode. 
Yona was played by Anita Strindberg. She'd been in a variety of jally pictures already, like Lizard in a Woman's Skin, Case of the Scorpion's Tail, Who Saw Her Die, and Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only Eye of the Key. But she also appeared in Women in Cell Block 7, before she got the role in Almost Human. Mahoney was played by Luciano Catanacci, who'd been in Short Night of the Glass Dolls, Syndicate Sadists, and The Tough Ones. Uh, Lorenzo Piani, who played Gianni, uh, that was Mary Lou's boyfriend. He'd been in What Have They Done to Your Daughters, Five Women for the Killer, Deep Red, and he was even in Bruno Mattai's Shocking Dark. Judge Rossi was played by Tom Fellahy, who was in a gargantuan amount of Italian films, like Cat and Nine Tales, Case of the Scorpion's Tale, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Seven Bloodstained Orchids, All the Colours of the Dark, Seven Deaths in the Cat's Eye, The Violent Professionals, Spasmo, Five Women for the Killer, Deep Red, Salon Kitty, uh, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, Death Dealers, Red Knights of the Gestapo, Prisoner of the Cannibal God, Nightmare City, The Other Hell, even The House of Witchcraft. But Marta was played by Rosita Taroche. She'd been in Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Flesh for Frankenstein, Spasmo, and Red Knights of the Gestapo. Romano was played by Francesco Dada from The Bloodstained Butterfly. He was also in What Have They Done to Your Daughters, and he was even the conductor in the video nasty Late Night Trains. Giuseppe Castellano, who played the unnamed inspector with glasses, he's also been in Bird with the Crystal Plumage. He was in Syndicate Sadists, uh, Sergio Martino's Isle of the Fishman, and he was also in When the Bell Tolls, which footage was reused in the video nasty The Beast in Heat. So I take it that means technically he's in both of them. Funnily enough, there's not really any unique crew on this film, because it basically shares every person with the cynic, the rat and the fist. Lindsay pretty much reused every single crew member on this, but the only person except of this is the special effects guy, Giuseppe Carrozza. Now, he'd worked on uh, lots of other things, but mainly the Killer Whale movie, which is called Orca. And in that was Richard Harris, Charlotte Rampling, who we've seen before on The Night Porter, and also Will Sampson, who was from Poltergeist 2, and he was also in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, Almost Human had much less of a distribution than Cynic, but it was equally as successful at the Italian cinemas. The critics didn't really think so. They branded it as quite reactionary, with some criticising for its apparent condemnation of fascism. It received no cinematic or VHS release in the UK either, but it did have a US release. That does mean that it avoided some sort of controversy during the video nasties, and we in the UK could only really see it through importing the tape from the US. It wasn't seen legitimately in the UK until 2011, when Shameless Films released the uncut version on DVD. It then, it has subsequently though received a remastered Blu-ray print from the same people much later, around 2017.
And that's the end of the episode for this week, y'all. So thanks again for listening week and week again. You're all utterly amazing. We're back again as ever next week, retaining a little bit of this week's themes for a change. So next week, we're blending the Polizioteschi and the Giallo genres. There's not really a term for it, so I'll just call them Polizio Gialli films. Next week's titles have even similar linguistic structures. They're called What Have You Done to Solange and What Have They Done to Your Daughters. They do have origins in something called the Creamy Film, but we will get more on that next week. So tune in right on time on Friday next week to enjoy the next serving of Nasty Pasties Delights. But see you all soon, and take care of yourselves until next week. Bye-bye!